Let's grab our Bibles and some of you may be turning straight to Ephesians, but we're not going to be in Ephesians this morning. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> I know, right? We've been in Ephesians the last four weeks, and that's ordinary for us. We usually start at the beginning of a book of the Bible, and we work all the way through passage by passage to the end of that book, and then we pick another book and we keep going. That's, that's how we eat around here. That's our diet. That's our ordinary food. Um, is just sequential exposition of God's Word. Um, it's not to say that topical messages are wrong or immoral or fattening. They're just, you know, they're just not our normal cuisine. Um, they're kind of more like medicine. Um, and so this morning, we, we're going to have a topical message uh, about leadership. About leadership. It's... It's apropos. It's a good occasion. Did you know that we just had our fourth anniversary as a church? Yeah. I know. There should be cupcakes or something, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm not very good at celebrating. I'm not a party guy. So instead we just get to clap. How about that? Somebody said Carol Clark would whip up cupcakes before the end of the service last time, but, um, (laughs) oh, poor woman. We put her on the spot. Um, (laughs) It being the fourth anniversary of our church, it, I, I am reminded that often people will ask this question, what are some of the, the biggest needs in a church plant? What are some of the biggest needs in a church plant? And um, first, let me say this, the biggest need in a church of any size of any age is always vertical. The biggest needs are always vertical. God's glory, God's word, seeking his face in prayer, worshiping him face up, sharing the story of his son. The biggest needs are always vertical. Usually when that question is asked, they mean it. They mean that question in the horizontal sense, in the human sense, and I get that, right? It's fine. It's a decent question. And and asked that way, I would say here's one of the biggest needs always, leaders. Leaders. You might say, well, I thought the church had a leader. Isn't that you? Yes, my wife laughed the loudest in the last service, too. (laughs) So about that, let me just say, first, the most important leader is always vertical. Jesus Christ is the Lord of His church. He is our leader. And also about that, at a human horizontal level, level, we need so many leaders. It's not just one. We need so many leaders. We need small group leaders. We need apprentices who will be working to become small group leaders. We need ministry team coordinators who would lead teams of of people doing different things. We need teachers and Crossway kids helping to equip families as they lead 
little disciples. We need leaders of those teachers coordinating those things, room moms, right? We need all kinds of leaders, just one-on-one, -on -one. just one-on-one, -on -one. being a leader who disciples others, who says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's true everywhere, not just in church, not just in this church. It's true in your home. Your home needs your leadership. It's true in your office. Your office needs your leadership. Your friends need your leadership. Your neighborhood needs your leadership. That prayer meeting yesterday needed leadership. And, and thank you to Trebes and Michelle's small group, Trebes and Michelle's Sasser small group. They, that was the group that led us yesterday morning and, and yesterday evening. And most of the people who led prayer from the microphone, that was just their small group who arranged for, I don't know, we had tacos, I don't know, ladies? All kinds of good stuff. Yeah, okay. Thank you for leading. We need leaders. Always. And you might say, well, whoa, whoa. Isn't what's really needed servanthood? Isn't that what's needed? Oh, I would say that's always true. That's always true. You should always be asking, how can I be of service? I'm just telling you that the answer many, many times is be a servant leader. It's like when I go cycling with my brother. He's leading, right? He's mapped the ride. That took some time and effort. He's carrying all the equipment to fix whatever bike breaks down, and if either one breaks down, he's still going to be the one fixing it. His hands are good for turning pages, and that's it. And, and, and even like on the ride, he's like, hey, get behind me. Draft behind me is going to be so much easier if you just let me take the resistance. Let me cut through the wind as I push harder than you're pushing because I'm leading. And people need you to do that in life. As it says in... 2 Samuel 23, I'm going to be jumping all over the scriptures this morning, and you can turn there if you want. Uh, I'll read these to you as I go. It says in 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 3, it says, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. That's good leadership. That's King David talking about the enormous benefits that come to people through leadership. All throughout Scripture, we see Obviously, we see examples of bad leadership. We see the tragedy of that. But we also always see God using leaders to be this obvious, tremendous source of blessing. You want to be a blessing to people? Be a leader God blesses. In your home, in your office, in your neighborhood, in your church, in some other church, in whatever way available to you. 
be a leader God blesses. And you will be a tremendous source of God's blessing. You say, well, it's, it's scary to lead. People will criticize. Yeah. It's hard to lead. There's all that thinking and planning and preparing and organizing. Yeah. But if you will do it, if you will serve people by leading them, It's worth it. It's worth the fear. It's worth the criticism. It's worth the discipline. So if, if the title is, will you be a leader God blesses, there are really two questions in that question. It's, one is, will you be a leader? And will you be a leader God blesses? So let's jump right into it. Let's get into it. Let's break it down into some parts, okay? Will you be, let's the first one, what kind of authority, what kind of leadership authority does God bless? Will you be a leader that God blesses? Well, what kind of leadership authority does God bless? First part. What kind of leadership authority does God bless? Here's, I think, probably the most important answer from the Bible. Leadership authority that submitted to Him. Authority that submitted to Him. Right from the beginning. Genesis 1. Adam and Eve. Doesn't get much more beginning than that. God says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion. Exercise authority here. Under me. I want you to be my vice regent. I want you to exercise authority on this earth for its good. As I would exercise authority, I want you to exercise authority. You are submitted to me to do so. Very first example of Authority is exercised under submission of the authority of God. And the very first example of authority gone wrong, coming out from underneath that authority. Which is why, when we get to the New Testament, we get to places like Colossians 3, Paul is speaking to those with authority over others, and he says, remember, you are re-established under the submission of the Lord, right? You are reestablished under His authority. You're in submission to Him. Remember, that's been reestablished for you. Submission. What is submission? Just like just this week, I saw a, a little clip of a UFC fight where this guy, um, <laughs> the other guy in a chokehold and I promise I don't watch this stuff very often, but um, and, 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 and he, he gave up. He gave up. He tapped out, and which in that sport they call submission, which is kind of how we view submission in general, right? Like, God, you've got me to choke on I can't do anything else, and I've got to give up. I submit. I think that's how we view submission to anything and everyone. It's I, I give up. I submit. 
But submission is just that. It's sub-mission. It means you have been given a mission which is a subset of God's mission. God has a mission, and your mission is a sub-mission of that. You're submitted to that. You're under his authority to do his kind of thing, his kind of way, for his kind of reasons. That's submission. And that's the kind of authority God blesses. You're not on a mission of your own. In your home, you don't get to do your kind of thing, your kind of way, for your kind of reasons, as if you're on your own mission. You're not. You're on His mission. Which I, I think we focus on very little. We, very vaguely. I, I read a, a little piece by Paul Tripp uh, recently, and he said, you know, this mission that we have in our home Right? This mission of making disciples in our home and, 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 and glorifying the Lord in our home. It's a mission that we're on in the most vaguest terms sometimes. Like, like if you're planning your vacation as a family, like you have some pretty, pretty specific ideas of where you want to go. Right? Like you probably plan like the destination. Not like somewhere between Arizona and Nevada. Right? You, you, we're going here. And here's where we're going to stay. And this is how much it's going to cost. We've got a plan. And yet when it comes to the most important mission that we are on, the sub-mission of God's mission in this world that he has granted to us to exercise authority in our family on this mission, is really vague. Not much of a plan there. You're on a mission. It's a sub-mission of God's. He blesses the kind of authority that's in submission to Him, that's under His authority in your home. He blesses that in your work, right? You're on, you're on a mission. You, you're on a part of God's mission at work. You're on a part of God's mission in your neighborhood. We're on a part of God's mission as a church. You know, we don't get to make up the mission, right? What should the vision for our church be? Hey, don't look to the air. Look to the Lord. He gave us the mission. All right. As I've said, the problem with topical messages is you never know when to stop. Um, where are the rails? You have this whole book. Um, let's keep breaking it down. What kind of leadership characters does God bless? What kind of leadership character does God bless? First of all, let's just say, we, well, let's acknowledge character counts. Okay? And throughout this message, we're really mostly looking at ourselves as leaders, but let's keep in mind, when we choose leaders also, <laughs> character counts. Right? We know this is true because... If anybody's ever hired a babysitter, we know that's true, right? We say, oh, I'm not interested in character, just competency. No, I, you know, I, think, I think it matters to you when you hire a babysitter. It matters when we choose leaders. But what kind of character does God bless? 
I would put it this way. I think that Scripture points this out. The kind of character that God blesses is this. Ordinary and humble. Ordinary and humble. Here's what I mean by ordinary. If you look at the character qualifications in, in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 for pastor elders of Christ's church, right? This is, this is God saying, I want leaders whose character is like this in my church. You look at them. Well, let's look at them. How about that? I'll read them to you. Here's both lists. The list from 1 Timothy 3, the, the list from Titus 1. Um, really just kind of the heart of those lists. It goes like this. I'll read them to you. An overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife. That's good. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. And now the list from Titus 1. Pretty similar. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So two different lists from two different letters. They seem really the same because they're, they're very, very similar, that, but they're written to two different people. But do you notice anything about this? These, this the character qualification for these leaders? You can talk. Anything stick out? Good with the small stuff. That's, that's definitely true. Small stuff. I know, this is a terrible game. Guess what's in my head? I hate that game. Here, here's, here's something worth noticing. Super ordinary. Super ordinary. This is, this is ordinary Christian character on display. Right, nobody looks at this list and goes, oh, oh, so pastors aren't supposed to be drunkards. But everybody else, meh. To, to quote a friend of mine from last week, so true, elders are supposed to show people what it means to be an ordinary Christian. That's it. No super Christians. It's not a category. It's not a thing. Amen. Right? Not, not perfect text doesn't say perfect. The, perf the text says above reproach. Above reproach. That just means a pattern that's consistent enough that people expect this and don't expect that. In fact, if that came up, they would be, they'd be shocked. They'd be surprised if, if that happened in their life because that's not what they would expect. There's a pattern. They're above reproach. There's a pattern of behavior and character in their life that they don't expect that. That just means a long obedience in the same direction. That free you up a little bit? Right? The character of a leader. Just ordinary character. 
Yeah, I know the hard part is the, the, the long obedience in, in one direction. That's the hard part. <laughs> somebody, will, somebody might say, um, well, are we setting a low bar? What, what about God's high standards of holiness? I mean, think about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, if you, if you lust at a woman in your heart, it's like you've committed adultery with her. If, if, if you hate a brother, it's like committing murder. I mean, these are the kind of standards that we see in Scripture, and you're just, you're just calling for us to lead from a place of ordinary character. Yeah, that high standard of serving the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength, that's the direction. Let's have long obedience in that direction. But the humility of it all is failing over and over again at the heart level and coming to Him on a daily basis in repentance. Acknowledging that in my heart, Lord, I have failed to obey you. That's not hard to see if I just look in my heart. What kind of character does the Lord bless? Ordinary and humble. And that's where the humility comes from. Walking in ordinary, humble repentance before a God of extraordinary holiness who shows extraordinary grace to sinners. Well, we can also break this down. What kind of leadership courage does God bless? What kind of leadership courage does God bless? leadership courage is God bless and, and I think that that two of the most important uh, descriptions of courage from God's word when it comes to leadership would be this and I think it's really two sides of the same coin it is this doesn't fear man and trusts God doesn't fear man and trusts God as God speaks to the leader of the Israelites, Joshua. He says this, like this is right at the get-go. This is what I want, this is what I need you to receive from me, Joshua. God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Courage. Will you be a leader? I pray that you will be. Will you be a leader that God blesses? I pray that you will be. Will it take courage? You bet. In every aspect of leadership. I was forwarded this quote from Teddy Roosevelt. I was forwarded this quote this week, which was ironic because I was already thinking about it. And uh, so I just took that as a sign and I, <laughs> this is about courage and uh, I'm going to read it to you. 
because it's so, it's so really about the, 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 the heart of what courage feels like. Teddy says this, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who actually is in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Isn't that what courage feels like? And God is calling you to try, to attempt, to lead. Courage, if it's these two sides of this coin, not fearing man and trusting God, I think just giving some color to this fearing man piece, like not fearing man means, for one thing, it means not attacking. It means not attacking people. Right? We attack people when we're afraid of people. But the Bible says that this war that we're in is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual war. People are not your enemy. People are not your interlocutor. People are not your foe. We have an enemy. And people ain't it. And we find ourselves attacking people because we're afraid of people. And, and fear of man would also kind of have this color of pulling away from people. We, we, we find ourselves afraid to lead them afraid to interact with them, afraid to speak into their lives because we're afraid of them, and so we pull back. And a friend of mine said recently, and I think it's so true, generally when, when I'm afraid of someone, it's not because I'm afraid that they're going to hurt me or like, like come by my house and like key my car. I'm afraid of people because I think they're going to misjudge my motives. They're going to twist my words. And in that fear of man, I pull back. God is saying, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Be courageous. Do not pull back from people. People need you. Do not be afraid of them. Fear of man can also look like this can look like trying to control everything. It's trying to control everything. Because we're investing in control, a hope. We're investing in control, an expectation to do only what God can do. And control cannot accomplish it. Control is important. Control is important, right? Somebody who says, you know, a leader shouldn't be trying to control things, that's an oversimplification. I hope our leaders control things. I hope the, the leaders of our military control our nuclear weapons, Amen. right? 
Leaders have to control things. It's a part of leadership. But what happens is when we're afraid of people, we invest a hope into control that control cannot fulfill. Only God can fulfill our hope of this mission accomplished. Do not be afraid. Well, we're keeping on breaking it down. What kind of leadership courage does God bless? What about what kind of leadership motives does God bless? What kind of leadership motives does God bless? I think from Scripture that what we see these, most, these two most important motives that come in leadership. One, serving people. And the other is glorifying God. Serving people and glorifying God. Right? Serving people, like I think many of us are familiar with. Mark 10, where Jesus says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's his example to us. To serve. To serve people. To serve people. You know, in the Bible, I think there's only one place where Jesus says, I'm serving as an example for you. Jesus is an example in lots of ways, but there's only one place I'm aware of that, the, that Jesus says, I am serving as an example for you, and that's when he washes the disciples' feet. He takes off his, his clothes, right? He's kind of like in his shirt sleeves, so to speak, in front of everybody. Everybody else is wearing their, their nice stuff, right? And he puts on an apron, and he washes feet. And he says, this is the example. This is the example, folks. I'm serving. I'm serving you. You serve one another. This is the example. And guess what? Judas is there. Right? It's easy for us to say, oh, I'm going to serve all the people that I want to serve. Judas is there. I know you got Judases in your life. What's Jesus' example to you? Oh, Lord. That's your job as a leader in your home, is to serve. Is to serve. It's hard to serve. To do what's heavy and hard and embarrassing and gross. To do the thinking. To be the disciplined person that will serve the rest of the family. Because of your efforts, they will, they will thrive. They will be nourished. They will be nurtured because of your efforts. You're serving them with your leadership. That's your job as a leader in your church, to serve. So motives, serving people, and, and glorifying God. And glorifying God. Using all of your influence to help people get as vertical as they can. That's your motive as a leader. That's your biblical motive. It reminds me of the passage from Nehemiah. As all the leaders came out to lead the people, to lead the people to get as vertical as they could get, to understand the Lord, to understand His Word, to be glad in Him, and they stood up on a platform. Huh. They stood up on a platform, 
And they, they yelled to the people, bless the Lord. This is how we want to exert our influence as leaders of every kind. And they said in Nehemiah, in chapter 8, stand up and bless the Lord. The Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. And I just, I just love how our leaders up here, they do exactly that. They stand on this platform right here and they wave their arms kind of like I'm doing right now. And they're saying to us, stand up and bless the Lord. Get as vertical as you can. That's biblical leadership. And it's your job. And it's your job. In your home, in your church, with your friends, in your office, in your neighborhood, is to, in whatever available way and influence you have, get as vertical as you can, people. Come on, come with me. So, last question here How does God transform you as a leader? How does God transform you as a leader? Because, you know, you might say, like, well, great, great, Josh, I want to be that kind of leader, but how? How do, I, how do I do that? Is it just by force of will? Like, I will submit to God. I, I will be humble. I will not fear man. I, I will serve people. I will glorify God. Well, certainly you will need to be willing. You will need to exercise your will. But if your obedience is mainly about will, do you see the inherent conflict in saying like, I'm going to achieve humility through sheer strength of will? Right? So like, like, yay me for accomplishing humility. Mm. Or, I'm working on convincing you to give the glory to God through my will. This doesn't work. Because being this kind of leader springs less out of mere will than out of faith in Christ. And that might, might sound like a cliche to you. Oh, the answer to everything is faith in Jesus. It's like Sunday school cliche. Actually, a, a living faith in Christ obliterates every cliche. He upended everyone's thinking about leadership 2,000 years ago. And he will keep upending all of your thoughts about leadership every day as you walk in faith with him. When the guiding center of your soul is love for a God who washes feet, it won't take too much to follow his example. When, when the guiding center of your soul is gratitude for the Son who says when He's going to the cross for you, He says to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. If that's, if that's the center of what you're all about, if that's where your faith is, then, then you leading, submitted to His authority, That's going to happen, even if you encounter pain. If the guiding center of your soul is trust in the Lamb who was slain on behalf of your sin, for your forgiveness, 
granting you, giving you by sheer grace, forgiveness before a holy God. When that's the faith that your heart rests in the most, then trusting God in the face of things that are frightening, including people, it's actually a, a fairly simple extension. Right? He's, he's already proven His saving power toward you. He's already proven His saving heart toward you. He's already proven His saving love toward you in the cross. You don't have to fear anything that's frightening. Walking in faith in the living God is the transforming work that you need as a leader. Walking in faith in Christ is the transforming work you need as a leader. As Paul writes to the church of the Philippians in chapter 2. And why don't, we, why don't we read this as our prayer to close. Go ahead and stand with me. And I'll, I'll read this from Paul's letter. It's just so much this. This.